Uh, if you're just joining us uh, online or in person, uh, my name's Nick. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Cerritos Baptist, and it's, it's good to be here with you. Uh, we are journeying through the Old Testament prophets, and we're about halfway through. And uh, as Brandon pointed out in the very first message, the reason why we study the prophets uh, in, in general simplistic terms is, is twofold. One, the prophets reveal the heart of God. They tell us what he's like, what he feels, what he values, who he is. And secondly, the prophets show us the way of blessing. And to be honest, there is this pattern that there's first this rebuke, this wrath, this judgment that we see through the prophets. But it doesn't end there. There's always this hope of restoration, this promise of forgiveness and redemption. And that ultimately is, is the way of blessing. And that's something for us to pay attention to. So this morning, we're going to be in the book of Isaiah. So if you have your Bibles, um, we're going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 1 and, and chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 10. The prophet Isaiah writes, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams, and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moon Sabbaths, new moons, Sabbaths, and convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I am wary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Now, let's pray together. Fathers, we examine these words of yours, this strong imagery, this emotional thrust. We ask that your spirit would guide us. We ask Jesus that your grace would be evident. And we do ask that you would take away all feelings of shame and guilt and fear and condemnation because in Christ those things have all been taken care of, and we ask that you would give us clarity to this, clarity this morning as we study your scriptures, 
that we would truly see your heart and that you would show us the pathway to blessing. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So this morning, we are going to wrestle with this tension that will always be present in our Christian lives. And this is the tension between the very real practical rhythms and spiritual disciplines that we pretty much have to do in one form or another, and the relational component that we have with God. Because on on one hand, we have these practices, prayer, fasting, tithing, coming to church on Sunday. And the purpose of all these things is to foster a relationship with the living God. And if if you stop to think about it, that's a pretty surreal thing. It's somewhat mystical. Uh, It requires faith. But this tension that we wrestle with that we see here in the book of Isaiah is that there is a way to do these rituals, these disciplines, these rhythms, and completely miss the point, to do it in a way that is completely void of relationship. And so that's the tension that that I want to wrestle with. Uh, As I was preparing for this, I thought about a time when I was in high school. Uh, I went to Whitney High School here in Cerritos. Anybody go to Whitney High School here? All right. (laughs) So the interesting thing about Whitney, at least when I went, was um, in addition to being very nerdy, uh, maybe because of that, they did not offer driver's ed and health and nutrition uh, as part of the yearly curriculum. They forced us to go to summer school as sophomores. So I don't know if that's still true, but back in the day, you had to go to summer school. And I was morally, adamantly opposed to summer school. I went once in elementary school because my mom made me. I hated it. It was terrible. I went once in high school because they made me. And I went once in college uh, because it was a really good chance to get some credits out of the way for really cheap and it was an easy class um, at Long Beach City. So anyways, I had to go to summer school as a sophomore and I just dragged my feet. I was so upset. And it's one of those things where in retrospect, it's like, well, who was I upset at? And what what was I trying to prove? but I would, I would go there, sign in, I would, I would jump the fence and ditch as often as I could. Um, I would fall asleep in class intentionally. Um, and I remember nutrition class was really fascinating because one of the requirements was that you actually had to eat a real piece of fruit and drink a bottle of water every single day. And it was part of your grade. So what the teacher would do was uh, she would come through she would check your whole piece of fruit or, you know, in a bag or container, and, and she would check your bottle of water to make sure that it was full. And then at the end of the day, she would go through the classroom and check that uh, you had eaten the fruit, so you had to show the, the peels or the core or the empty bag, and you had to show your empty bottle of water. And I despised being there so much um, that what I did is every day I had a full bottle of water and a whole orange, and uh, I also had an empty bottle of water and a bag of orange peels. <laughs> and so every time uh, the teacher would come by, I would just swap it out. And in retrospect, it's like, why would you do that? Why didn't you just eat the fruit and absorb the nutrients and not be hungry? I mean, I'm eating constantly anyways. Why not just 
do what they asked me to do, and why not just drink the water and be hydrated? Um, and I think about that, and, and, and these are kind of things in one way or another that I, I still do to this day, that I'll come to church just to come to church. I'll do certain ministry tasks to check the box, you know, just because I feel like that's what I'm supposed to be doing. And, and it's kind of this weird tension. Um, throughout Scripture, specifically in the Old Testament, there is this image of the vineyard. And it's interesting because if you go to Israel today, the Judean hillside is still covered with vineyards. Uh, it's, it's an image and a symbol that represents God's people, uh, the people of God, Israel and Judah specifically. And a healthy vineyard yielded good grapes, which were used for food, but was also used to produce wine. And wine, throughout scripture, is a symbol of blessing, of joy, of abundance. And so we're going to take a look at Isaiah chapter 5. And keep in mind that the vineyard represents the people of God, specifically Israel. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1. I will sing for the one I love, a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall, and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated. And briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. But he looked for justice but saw bloodshed, for righteousness but heard cries of distress. And here we see kind of a summary of the past four or five weeks, that when he looked to the nation of Israel, um, just backing up a little bit, all of this goes back to the law of Moses, to the Torah, to the good gift that the law was supposed to be to this nation, to this people that had just been redeemed out of slavery. God was saying, I want you to live this way because this is, this is a gift. These are practices that are, are life-giving. They're going to define who you are, and they're going to show the world who I am. And so he uses this image of, of, of a vineyard. He protected it. He, he cultivated the land. He put up walls to protect it. He put up a watchtower to guard it, built a wine press so that it would produce good wine. And to no fault of the gardener, to no fault of God, the vineyard went bad. It went astray. It, it lost its ability 
to be the people of God. And he sums it up in, in verse 7. He says, I, I looked for justice, but I saw bloodshed. For righteousness, but heard cries of distress. And so when we look back at when Eric talked about idolatry, these kind of God substitutes, these things that we attach onto um, our relationship with God. When we look at what Pastor Donna had to say about uh, the lack of justice, the lack of Israel to look out for the most vulnerable in society, the lack of their ability to, to look after the widow, the orphan, the foreigner, the outcast. When we look at the failed leadership, the failure of the shepherds of Israel to take care of the people and to serve with integrity. And this is how the, these grapes went sour. This is where the vineyard went bad. And I don't want to get ahead of the story too much. Um, we're kind of following the, the stream um, of, the, of this series. Uh, but I think it's important to, to uh, make, a, make a distinction um, between Israel and, and who we are as, as the church. And so I, I do want to skip ahead to John chapter 15. This is, this is one of my personal life passages, um, and I, I love the imagery here, especially against this backdrop. Uh, John chapter 15, and this is Jesus speaking. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown in the, into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And so there's a lot here, but I just want to highlight this shift in imagery. And it's a pretty monumental shift, especially if you're a first century Jew hearing this. That instead of the vineyard being Israel as a nation, Jesus is now saying, I am the vine. Life comes through me. So therefore, remain in me, abide in me, trust in me. Now, I'm, I'm not a farmer, um, but I do uh, live in a house that we're renting. 
with a beautiful garden. And in the pandemic, my wife planted a passion fruit vine, which I knew nothing about, but it was kind of part of her childhood. And over the course of a year or so, it yields these long, beautiful vines and uh, this fruit. Um, I had no idea that this was what passion fruit looked like. I kind of thought uh, passion fruit was just like a, a boba flavor. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but the amazing thing about this plant is that uh, it, it grows on this trellis, and it kind of creates this beautiful, vast network of vines. And if I didn't know where the actual root was, you would kind of just think it just kind of spread on its own, that, that there were multiple plants or that it was self-sustaining. But obviously, if I were to cut off any of these uh, vines, any of these branches, it would quickly wither. It would die, there'd, there'd be no more fruit. And it's really only through the main branch, the main vine, where it's rooted into the soil, where it absorbs the nutrients, that it's able to, to thrive. And the same is true for us. And, and I love the simplicity and the physicality of this image, that we as the children of God are called to receive all of our nutrients, all of our identity, all of our purpose from God himself, from Jesus. On a daily basis, we have this ongoing responsibility and opportunity to, to be fed. And I love, I love how Jesus says in verse 11, that I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be complete. That he's not just telling us this to load us up with obligation, to make us feel bad. He's not doing any of this uh, out of shame. He's not yelling at us to, to tear us down. He says, I want you to be full of joy. And I want your joy to be complete. And even as he talks about obedience and commands, he's not going back to the old covenant. He's not saying, you need to do this, this, and this. Uh, he's saying, in verse 12, love each other. As I have loved you, remain in my love. Soak it in. And greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. And obviously Jesus went to the cross for us, and we're called to, to live in the same way for one another. So as I close our time, I want to leave you with this, this one question. And the question is this. Why do we settle for empty rituals? When we think about things like church attendance, or small groups, or tithing, taking care of the poor. Disciplines and rhythms that are important and should be life-giving, why do we settle for empty versions of them? And again, I say that there, there's this tension here that I, I think we will always wrestle with in one way or another. But it's a question that I want to ask, and it's a question that uh, the prophet Jonah poses in Jonah 2.8 when he says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close for us, and I'm going to kind of lead us through a time of prayer, inviting the Holy Spirit to, to speak to us um, personally. Uh, so if you would close your eyes with me, take a few deep breaths. Father, we are grateful that you are the good gardener, 
that you cultivate your church, that you have cultivated your vineyard, and we've been uh, invited into that. And so for those of us who are in Christ, again, I proclaim over us that there is no condemnation for us. You have done away with shame and guilt and fear in your perfect love. And in that space, God, I invite you to speak. I ask, Lord, that this morning you would point out the idolatry in our lives. What are the good gifts, perhaps, that we have elevated to levels that it should not be? Where are there idols in our lives, Lord? And fathers, we consider your standards of justice, the shalom, the wholeness, the peace that you desire for your people, for your kingdom. Where can we do justice? Where can we live with, with more mercy, more generosity? God, as we consider the call to leadership and as we recognize that each one of us has a certain level of influence over our respective spheres of influence, we pray for us as people, as leaders, that you would humble us, that you would root us in, in your love. God, that we may be able to lead and serve with integrity with wisdom, that this church would be a place that is in tune with you, in tune with your scriptures, in tune with your heart, Lord. And Lord, as we consider our spiritual disciplines, the things we do to cultivate a relationship with you, would you speak right now into our hearts, into our souls? Would you expose us, God, for perhaps the emptiness in some of our rhythms? God, we thank you that you have shown us the path of life. As the psalmist writes, that you embody life. God, in your presence is fullness of joy. So God, as I invite the worship team up to close us out, God, I, I do ask that your spirit would guide us, Lord. God, that your spirit would embody all of our practices. God, that we wouldn't just pretend to worship, that we would actually worship. I pray, Lord, that we would not just um, look like your people, that we would be your people, Lord. So, Jesus, I thank you that you have loved us first, that you have called us by name. 
And we pray this all in your name and to your glory. Amen.